Hey, I am so jazzed about the food pack. I, I just want to piggyback on Amy's announcement. Um, it's it's going to take probably 600 people uh, to do the food pack. Uh, there's an ask everywhere, but I'm asking you all, if if we can take all of North Point and bring families and friends to, to uh, be a part of the food pack that day, it would just be an incredible, an incredible thing, a great opportunity for you to share what God is doing in your life as well. Uh, so be sure and be a part of that. Um, I, when I was when I got back in town last week after my trip to Columbus, my my inbox was flooded with email. I, I, if you were here last week, I don't know what that's about, but I, not not really. Uh, I, I'm so grateful to Jake. I listened to his message online afterwards and just thought, man, he he uh, he hit a home run. Uh, great, great message. And it, yeah, yay for Jake. He's not here. Uh, say, tell, just tell him. Give him a hug. Everybody give him a hug today, okay? Say, Jake, that was a great message. Um, the, uh, the, also last week, if you were here last week, uh, Courtney made an announcement that said, today we're announcing something huge. Um, and we are. But it's coming at the very end of the service, so you have to stick around till the end. Uh, that's called a teaser, right? Uh, get there. Um, we we have been studying through First Peter. Uh, we're in this series called Holy, Holy, and Holy, and and today especially, we're um, we're taking an incredibly large chunk of scripture, uh, and I, I'm I'm putting it all under one theme that I think makes sense in the context of our message series. But it's really kind of four different messages. So you've got to kind of downshift and get ready to go. Um, take out a Bible or take out the app. If you would, uh, use the U version. Take a Bible out of the front. We're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 3. Um, and my original, we're actually going to work through chapter 3 verse 8 all the way through chapter 4 verse 11. Lots of verses. And I was going to have a stand and read that together, but... Um, it takes about four and a half minutes to read through that passage of Scripture, which is not a terrible thing, but we're not like the people in the first century, right? Um, we're, we are kind of attuned to a much shorter attention span. And, um, and I, want you to, I want you instead to have the Scripture in front of you and maybe to go home this afternoon and just read through this chunk of Scripture and really kind of digest it in a, in a powerful way. There's, there is so much to unpack um, uh, if we're serious about following Jesus, there's just so much in there. But I want, I want to communicate in this overarching umbrella about the holiness that we're called to live in. Um, if we're serious about following Jesus, if we have become a disciple of Jesus, um, holiness is going to be an attribute that's a part of us. Um, it's... Making Jesus Lord is an all-in kind of thing. Um, we'll talk more about that in, in a second, but it permeates everything. It, uh, when, I, when I was prepping the message, I was thinking, it's kind of like that kid's song. Head, shoulders, knees, and toes, knees, and toes. Head, shoulders, knees, and toes, knees, and toes. Eyes, and ears, and mouth, and nose. Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Anybody sing that when you were little? Yes. Do you all want to do it now? Yeah, we're not, okay? But uh, that 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 song is all about this all-encompassing idea, you know, that your body's act, that everything is involved together in one place. Um, here's the truth that's the overarching umbrella of this entire message. Holiness is consuming. 
It's not a compartment in our lives. Holiness, if we're serious about following Jesus, holiness is not something that we can turn on and turn off. It's, it's, it's a core component in every aspect of our lives. We tend to live compartmentalized lives, right? We've, we've got this life that's at home with our family. We've got a separate life that's at work. We've got a separate life that's really kind of connected maybe to our college friends or, or to the sports world. We've got a separate life that's there at the gym that we work out at. Uh, we've got a separate life, a separate compartment online, even have avatars, right, that, uh, that we create this persona, and that's a compartment that we have. Um, we do all kinds of stuff, and we segment our lives into these areas that we box off. Holiness is not a compartment, all right? It's not something that we turn on on Sunday morning. It's not something that we turn on when we say uh, a prayer before a meal or before we go to bed at night. Holiness permeates all of our lives if we're serious about following Jesus. When we give our lives to Jesus, when we accept his sacrifice for us, everything changes and we are made holy. We're changed. We, we are we become holy because of Jesus' sacrifice. Completely forgiven, everything changed. Our core being is different because of Jesus. It's not a compartment. We can't do anything to make ourselves more holy. We can't do anything to, um, to make ourselves less holy. We can't learn more to be more holy. We can't, um, we can't be more holy simply because of self-discipline. We can't be more holy by becoming a hermit. We can't be more holy by becoming an Ohio State fan. Um, and, you know, nothing will change that, right? Nothing. Our holiness, if Jesus is the Lord of our lives, is consuming. It consumes us. It has to be consistent in every compartment of our lives. Um, it's easy to say, I, you know what, I don't feel holy. And man, it's, it's really hard to be holy when I'm living in this world where everybody else is not holy. Where every, everybody is, is just kind of banging at, at my relationship with Jesus and hitting it and knocking it down. That doesn't change our holiness. Um, did, has anybody ever woken up one morning and said, I am 30 years old. I don't feel like I'm 30 years old. You can fill in the number, all right? 50, 60, 80. How did I get to, I don't feel that old. I had a conversation with somebody just before the service today. Uh, new parent. You bring the baby home. I don't feel like a parent, right? But all of a sudden, you are. It doesn't matter whether you feel like it or not. It doesn't matter whether you feel like you're married or not. It doesn't matter whether you feel like you're married or a parent or not. It doesn't matter whether you feel like you're 60 or 40 or whatever that number is. You are, right? And God's word tells us that if we, are, if we have made Jesus the Lord of our life, that we are holy. And so that holiness needs to push its way out. It needs to show itself to the world in a way that it's not limited to any compartment, but it permeates all of our life. If you've got your Bibles, uh, look at 1 Peter 3, verse 8. We're going to buzz through a whole bunch of stuff. 
Let me, let me just talk about what holiness impacts. Holiness impacts first our relationships. Verse, uh, verse 8 says, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and, whole, and, and humble. Um, Peter says, be like-minded, have, have this sense of unity to live in harmony. Do you understand that within the church and, and within the lives of Christians, there should not be broken relationships? There should not be broken relationships. If, if they do exist, man, we need to fix those as a part of our relationship with Jesus. How, uh, how, do, how do we repair a broken relationship? I, I think that there's some clues in that verse. How do you repair a broken relationship? With compassion and humility. With compassion and humility. You go to somebody and say, you know what, I was wrong. You know what? I, I don't like it that there's this tension between the two of us. Can we talk it out? Can we talk about what's going on? God, I, would you forgive me for what I've done? Compassion and humility. Uh, such a big deal. Uh, I, I don't know if you knew or not, but in the Greek culture, humility was, um, it was not a virtue. It was a weakness. To be humble was weak in the, in the culture when this was written. And so for Peter to say, be humble, it was like, wait, what's that about? How do, you, how do you do that? Putting others in front of ourselves. Peter says, be like-minded, love one another. Uh, some of you may look at a translation that says, um, approach each other with brotherly love. Yeah, understand what, what the concept there is in that word, uh, love one another, brotherly love. It's, brothers, brothers have this, um, this ability to be passionate about each other and still fight, right? And, and it's done. I, I grew up with four sisters, didn't have any brothers, but I can tell you a story about the brotherly love thing from a, with my sister. When I was seven years old, I have, a, I have a four sisters. One is a year older than I am. And so when I was seven, she was eight. We got in, into a fight in the room that we had upstairs at our house in Salina, Ohio. And I remember so vividly, we were just at it back and forth. And she grabbed me because she was bigger than I was at that point and took my head and banged it into the wall. <laughs> That explains a lot, doesn't it? Um, and as, as I'm hearing my head thud against the wall as a seven-year-old, I looked at her and she looked at me and we both started laughing and that was the end of the fight. Brotherly love allows us to be in conflict but to fix that conflict and to be on the same page. You know what? Uh, no one can say anything bad about my sisters because I will fight for their reputation. I know them and I love them. You may have that same kind of relationship. That's, that's the concept that's there. Paul says your holiness is going to impact the relationships that you have with people in your life. And one of the traits needs to be that they need to be just evidenced by this brotherly love concept. Um, Holiness impacts our relationship. There should be unity. There should be sympathy. There should be affection and protection. There should be compassion and humility. Holiness impacts our responses to the world around us as well. Verse, verse 9 says, Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, re repay evil with blessing. Does that concept sound familiar? We, we talked about it just a few weeks ago in 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter said when, when people hurled their insults at Jesus, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself 
to, he, to him who judges justly. There's, there's this picture for us in Scripture about not seeking vengeance and not getting back at people who wrong us. That's hard to hear, isn't it? Because everything in us wants to lash back when somebody does us wrong, when somebody undercuts us, when somebody attacks our reputation. Peter says, don't do it. Romans chapter 12, uh, under the context where Paul is teaching about uh, the, the overarching principle is love must be sincere. And then he goes into a, a long explanation of what that looks like in Romans 12. And in that, he says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. Can I, can I just encourage you, talk about this concept this afternoon at lunch. Talk about this concept with your life group. Because our culture says fight for your rights, defend yourself. And scripture teaches, you know what, uh, you know what an aspect of holiness is? It's to not repay evil for evil. Holiness impacts our speech and our actions as well. Verses 10 and 11. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil, keep their tongue from evil, their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Holiness impacts the way that we talk and the things that we do, the actions. If there's anything that holiness should permeate, it should be our speech. Not just, that, that's not just about not saying bad words, right? Not having a foul mouth. It talks about deceitful speech. It's easy with our words to pit one person against another. It's easy with our words to undermine someone at work or at home, to undermine their credibility. It's easy to cause division and pain with our words. And Peter says, don't do it. That's not an aspect of holiness. You're a holy nation. That's not what it looks like. It doesn't matter if you like drama and you feel like you're more alive when there's drama. Don't create it with the things that you do, with the words that you say. A big overarching theme to the book of 1 Peter is this idea that holiness means suffering. Holiness means that we will suffer as followers of Jesus. Um, uh, verse, verse 13 14 say, um, Who is going to harm you? If you're eager to do, to do good, but even if you should suffer for what's right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Don't be frightened. There's this concept of suffering that we're going to come back to at the beginning of chapter 4 in just a second. But th this idea that if we are holy, if Jesus, if we have made Jesus the Lord of our lives, we are going to suffer. When Peter wrote to the church in the first century, suffering was, uh, suffering was a part of what it meant to follow Jesus. The persecution had started and had maybe been going on for maybe as much as 20 years. And the persecution was not just that people um, didn't get promotions at work, that, that they were alienated from people, that people didn't like them. The, the persecution was severe. 
Christians were taken and put on stakes and covered with tar and lit on fire in the gardens in Rome so that Nero would have light outside in his gardens. That kind of persecution. Persecution where Christians were rounded up and, and uh, 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 an animal skin was put around them and sewn together and they were put in the Colosseum so, uh, so um, wild animals would come and tear them apart, pursue them until they died. It was a real persecution. And in that context, Peter says, um, do what you know is right. Don't pay back evil for evil. Understand that, that, um, that God is going to take care of you. Don't fear their threats. Don't be frightened. Holiness also meant um, that, that there would be this sense, in, as, as Christians suffered, that their response to that suffering would prompt questions that would create conversations. Look in verse 15. Um, uh, verse 14 finishes, uh, Don't fear what they fear, don't be frightened. But in your hearts, uh, set apart, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Holiness means that we can explain why we live the way that we do. Hear, hear me on this. It's not enough when somebody says, why are you doing that? To say, oh, that's what I've always done. It's not enough to say, oh, that's what my church teaches. It's not enough to say, Oh, um, th- th- that's, that's, what, uh, that's what my family taught me. Oh, that's what my parents believe. Oh, that's just what Christians do. It's not enough to do that. Each of those create a form of legalism, right? They, they create this external pressure to behave in a certain way. We need to be able to explain why we live the way that we do, why we make the choices that we do. Man, if you can't do that, the challenge is to dive into Scripture and, and figure out why, why am I? Why am I doing this? So that the answer can be, why do you respond that way when you're persecuted at work? When, when people are trying to undermine everything you do, why are you treating them well? becomes easy to say because I follow Jesus and that was his example and that's what he's called me to do. That's very different than saying, oh, that's what my church, that's, that's what my pastor said I was supposed to do this week. You understand that? Big, big deal. If you act a certain way as a result of a relationship, if you love in a certain way, that's easy to explain. I love Jesus, and that's the, way, that's the reason why I do this. That's the reason I act the way that I, that I do. Holiness means that there will be these questions that come up that we need to have a ready response for. That doesn't mean that we have to have the answer to every question, uh, every theological question. It just means that we can explain why we live the way that we do. It means that we can explain that we have a relationship with Jesus and that he has changed us. He's impacted our lives. Um, let, it's interesting because there's this concept that holiness means suffering. And, and um, 
Paul hits on it at the end of uh, chapter 3, and then he comes back to it big time at the beginning of chapter 4. And then he goes in some other directions. I said Paul, I meant Peter. Peter, uh, Peter says that. Um, under, uh, hear what Peter says in, in uh, verse 18. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Um, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this, this part of the message, I, man, I want you to just really wrestle with. Because what Peter says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, is at the center of, what, of Christianity. It's at the center of what it means to follow Jesus. That Jesus allowed himself to be substituted for us. Our sin separated us from God. And as a result of that, that betrayal of God, we deserve to be punishment. We, we deserve to be punished. And Jesus came in and in, in a substitutionary way, the, the theological term, substitutionary atonement. Jesus took that punishment on himself so that we could be forgiven. That's incredible news. That frees us. It stinks for Jesus. What he went through on the cross was horrible, but that's what we deserved. He, he was the person who exchanged himself for the hostages in the hostage crisis. He was the person who, who took responsibility for a crime that he didn't commit. He was the person who went to prison so that someone else could go free. Jesus, the righteous for the unrighteous took our sin on himself. Um, as you read through this, uh, the, uh, Peter then goes on a couple of rabbit trails. I, I, I just want us to take a look at. Um, the, the first rabbit trail has to do with whether or not Jesus went to hell. Listen to what, what Peter writes. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. Anybody going, what? Right? Martin Luther said this about this. A wonderful text is this, and a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for a certainty just what Peter means. Anybody agree with that? <laughs> it's like, huh? Um, I, I'm old enough to know what I don't know. And, and I can tell you that theologians basically have four explanations for this. August, Augustine was the first one to say that, um, that, that from the time of Jesus' crucifixion to the resurrection, that Jesus went to hell and preached to the spirits, to preach to the people who had been dead up to that point, and that it gave an opportunity for them to repent and to come back to, to, to Jesus and be made right with God. That's the one explanation. Uh, let me just say this for a second. I, uh, I'm gonna, I'll come back to that. Um, the uh, second, second thing is that, that um, it describes that what this passage describes is the Old Testament saints who were right with God but waiting for Jesus' death to be able to have their sin forgiven completely and come back into the presence 
of, of God. The third explanation is that um, people who died prior to this were just simply being given a second chance. The fourth, uh, the fourth option is that, um, that this was actually, that what it actually describes is Jesus' proclamation of his victory over death to the spirit world, um, to, to Satan and his minions, that it was Jesus essentially coming to a point of, of saying, you think that you had won. You think that you had accomplished everything that you wanted, and that's not the case. I'm alive, and I'm going to reign, and you're in trouble. That, those are basically the four explanations that are possible for, there, uh, for that. Let me, let me just say this about a couple of those things. Um, uh, w- whenever you encounter a difficult passage in Scripture, and you're, and you're thinking, man, I don't understand this at all, where do you go with that? The, um, the, the principle is this, that you start with the scriptures that you do understand that are clear and you use those to interpret the scriptures that you don't understand quite as well. So here's what, here, here are a couple things that we know. We know that um, from what scripture teaches, there's not a second chance after we die. Um, you know, uh, that we're, there, there's a point for man uh, uh, wants to die and then the judgment. Um, the the, uh, the story that Jesus told about the rich man Lazarus, he describes this chasm that exists um, after we die and that people can't go back and forth. Um, there are no second chances. I, I, th- I think, I'll tell you what I think. Uh, um, I think you need to study this passage. That's what I think. No, um, I, I think it's it, there. We can't know for sure. I think that there's a there's a pretty good case that can be made for Jesus proclaiming to the spirit world that he had won. I think that there's also probably some sense in which something happened that that um, that the saints, the Old Testament saints, at the time of the crucifixion, that that Jesus uh, released them to be back into God's presence. I, 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 don't, I don't know. All right? Good enough. Uh, that's a rabbit trail that Peter goes off on. Second rabbit trail that's, that's here. I told you this was four separate sermons, right? Uh, um, four separate messages. Second rabbit trail is this. Um, I, I, I think this is an incredibly cool passage about baptism. Uh, baptism's a big deal. Um, it, it says this. Um, Through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago while God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, in the ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven and is at the right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Um... Baptism, Peter describes as the pledge of a clear conscience, a pure conscience before God. That there's something about baptism that that we say, oh, God asks me to do this. This doesn't make any sense at all, but I'm going to obey and say yes. And when I do, when it's done, there is this sense of, oh, I've done just what God wanted. And there's this sense of a pure conscience, a clear conscience that comes. Um, uh, let, let, me, let me just talk about baptism for a second because um, we, uh, y'all, y'all 
have ridden in a boat, right? And you look, a speedboat, you look back and there's the wake of the boat that lasts for a long time that you ski in back there. That'll make sense. We live 500 years later in the wake of Martin Luther. Um, Martin Luther was a Catholic priest who was committed to following Jesus. And in his commitment to follow Jesus, he realized that the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages was way messed up. There was this system of works that, that justification by works happened over and over and over again. Your sin could be forgiven if you did X, Y, Z. If you gave this much money, your sin could be forgiven. And so there was this works mentality that was there. And Luther, Luther when, when he kind of realized that, said, that's crazy, that's not what it's about. And then when he read in Galatians, in Galatians 2, know that a person's not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. We, Luther wrote faith alone, justified by faith alone in, in the Bible. Um, uh, we've talked about this before when, he, when Luther got to reading James. James says, you know what, you're not justified by faith alone, but, but your works prove your faith. Luther didn't like that, and he took James out of the Bible. Um, but, but this concept that, that, that was fundamental to the Protestant Reformation, that we're saved by faith alone, um, it, we sit in the wake of that. Let me, let me just be clear. Baptism is not a work that saves us. We're saved by grace through faith. Saved by grace, completely. But baptism is, is a part of the process by which we respond to Jesus' extension of grace to us. When you read through the New Testament, um, as, as people began to follow Jesus, baptism was a natural step that they took. I know for many of you, baptism is a difficult, difficult thing to wrestle with because it feels like work. Oh, if I just get baptized, if I just get wet, then, I, then I'm good. That's not the case at all. But if you're responding to the lordship of Jesus and you read through scripture, baptism is a step that you will naturally take. It's, it, it's a normal expression that says to everyone else, Romans 6, I'm united with Jesus in his death burial, and resurrection. Does that make sense? The thing that I love about this passage in 1 Peter 3 is that it describes baptism as the pledge of a pure conscience. I, I can't tell you how many people that I've talked to that have grown up in, a, in an environment, in a world, in an in a, um, ecclesiastical world where they were baptized as a, as a baby. It was not a decision that they made. And, and they have this sense that if I if I choose to be immersed, if I choose as an adult to be baptized, that's going to negate everything that my parents did when I was a kid. It's, it's going to be a betrayal of their commitment to raise me as a follower of Jesus. I don't think that at all. I think baptism, when you come to the place that you say, I want Jesus to be Lord, and I want to proclaim that, I want that to be my decision that the most natural thing in the world is for that to be an extension and, and an expression um, a fuller expression of what your parents did as they committed you to follow Jesus. That that's a step that you take that makes a ton of sense and that as a result of that, it's the pledge of a pure conscience. Does that, that make sense? Good. All right, uh, we're going we're gonna to keep rolling. Uh, 
Into the rabbit trails, back into the idea of um, everybody's going to suffer. Let me, let me just read uh, the first six verses of chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they don't live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you don't join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Debauchery is not a word that we use very often, right? When's the last time? Oh, yeah, they were, they were caught in debauchery. It's just not something that we say. What it means is an extreme indulgence in sexual behavior, wildness. That's dictionary definition. If you want to look for a picture, it is spring break um, in Florida, right? That's debauchery. Um, it, it is this emphasis on sex that, that just consumes everything without any constraints at all. Um, lust, strong sexual desire. What Peter describes is that this is the world that you live in. It describes the world that we live in, Right? And Peter says, you're not a part of that, and they're going, to, they're going to pressure you to be a part of that world. They go, they're going to expect you to participate, but we're all going to be accountable for our behavior. Um, 15 years ago, 15 years ago, one um, incredibly successful ad campaign was launched. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? I think... A more accurate um, end to that phrase would be four words, is known by God. Say, is known by God. What happens in Vegas is known by God. What happens in the back seat of the car is known by God. What happens online is known by God. What happens in the smoke-filled boardroom is known by God. What happens when you think no one is looking is known by God. We will all give an account to God. So when we talk about making Jesus Lord of all of our lives, of the holiness that we have through the forgiveness of Jesus, it permeates everything. There is no compartment that we can hide from God. Peter says uh, holiness means being alert and aware. He's, verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Peter says, look around, man, take stock of the world that you're living in and be on guard. Don't coast spiritually. Holiness, it goes back to a thought that he already communicated, means being relationally connected, that life is better together. It's why for us, um, life groups are so important. Disciple-making relationships are so important. To be connected with people who are pursuing Jesus just like you. Uh, above all, love each other deeply, verse 8, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Last thought, holiness means selflessness. Selflessness. 
Verse 9, offer hospitality. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's so inter- this concept is so interesting to me because in our culture, hospitality is, um, is not really seen as a virtue, right? Um, we tend to think, I, I'm not going to bring people into my home. My home is my castle, right? That's my respite. It's the place I go pr- to protect me from all you weird people, right? But when Scripture challenges us to be hospitable, to bring people into our lives, it is, it is uh, an expansion of that idea of selflessness. Holiness means selflessness. Hospitality is described as a trait of people who are spiritually mature. It's one of the traits, one of the checkoff things for a person who's an elder in a church, uh, one of the leaders in the church. You want a challenge? Uh, um, go to Chris today and offer to host a life group in your home. Invite somebody over for dinner. M- maybe it's somebody that you know, um, but you would, you've never had in your home before. Maybe it's somebody that you don't know, and, and that's just hospitality like on steroids for you. May- maybe, maybe it's next Sunday to plan a meal that you can serve six people or 16 people, like spaghetti, right? Yeah, just you can have lots of spaghetti. All you have to do is have the jars of the sauce ready to go, some, some garlic bread, and then come to church and spend, spend Thursday, Friday, Saturday praying, God, who do you want me to invite to my house for lunch next Sunday? And then come to church next Sunday and just stand out in the, in the, in the uh, atrium. God, who do you want me to invite? Who do you want me to invite? And practice hospitality. Maybe it, maybe it means that you need to consider being a foreign exchange parent for students that come in from the outside. Maybe it means being a foster parent. Who knows? Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Uh, verse 10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks... They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. Holiness means selflessness. God gives you the ability to speak. Don't hold it back. Speak. God gives you the ability to serve. Man, you need to take a step. Our our last series was all about helping you find your niche in God's kingdom to serve. Maybe the challenge for you is to is to take that step that you've been thinking about and start to serve in a new way. Last thought, holiness has a purpose. The purpose of our holiness, the purposeness of our submitting to the lordship of Jesus is to bring God praise. Um, Peter finishes and says, so that in all things God may be praised through Christ Jesus. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Our holiness is not designed to draw attention to us, but to give glory to God. It's so that we can demonstrate, so that we can live out what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, so that we can show the world, this is what Jesus looked like. That's what, the, that's what it's all about. That's the purpose of our holiness. Um, you know, as, as I was working through this whole, this whole uh, passage of Scripture, one thought occurred to me. Um, the, uh, holiness comes from a relationship with Jesus. Jesus makes us holy when we accept his death. Right. Got it? 
that makes sense. That's the whole substitutionary atonement thing. But our holiness is the result. The way that we live out our holiness is the result of our relationship with him. It spills out into everything. Um, we haven't talked about this for a long time, but l- let me just encourage you, if you've never read or heard about the five love languages, to get that and just kind of work through that because the thing that I found in this passage is that all five love languages are there. Gift-giving, acts of service, quality time, closeness, being close to him. Um, I, I, uh, I just forgot one, but... Uh, what was it? Physical touch and closeness, encouraging words. There is this sense that our relationship with Jesus spills out into the world. This passage of scripture helps describe that for us. Um, we are called to live lives that are markedly different from the world. To be holy, holy. And for, uh, this is a a different picture than we've talked about before, and for that holiness to spill out, holy, holy, and holy, that holiness infects the world around us. Let's pray.